Welcome everybody to the fourth episode of the Mod Pod. We are back. I'm your host, IBS Jesus. Joining me soon will be my co-host, Paul Bertsall. Um And I don't know where we are right now because <laughs> the election has been determined or it hasn't been. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I was told that Joe Biden won, but then I was also told that that's not possible because every vote hasn't been counted. Then I was told that every vote was counted. And then I was told that it didn't matter that every vote was counted because, well, it's a rigged election. So we kind of covered this last week. Um, And this week's episode is supposed to be about where do we go from here? But it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere. Uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, man. (laughs) I swear to God, this is like the longest election result I've ever experienced. I mean, even though technically in 2000, Bush v. Gore was longer, this feels long. Maybe it feels longer because we're adults now. Or maybe I, yeah. I honestly had no interest in politics uh, when with Bush and Gore. I mean, surviving Y2K and hitting into my freshman year of high school, I think I was I had other things going on in my mind. <laughs> I agree, agree. God, Y two K. I only remember the Simpsons episode where they actually uh show Y two K actually happening where secretly everything from your computer to your refrigerator had a computer chip in it. And just started malfunctioning. So um speaking of like, you know, just basically giving you an atmosphere how this show is gonna go so I have picked up Tropico again on my uh, PlayStation. I don't know if you re- remember me playing this game, uh, but it's basically yeah. it's the Sims that yeah, you're a dictator. Yeah. So um, today I I admit I went a little left. I went full Trump. Um, I was at 44% approval, and the election was happening. And with one month left, I just invoked martial law. And then I had the um, person that was running against me killed. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm full out just in survival mode. And, and I started a, a media campaign basically saying that that wasn't me. I don't know who these people are. And then somebody was like, well, that faction is actually your biggest supporter. And I was like, I've never heard of them. And now I got rebels attacking my palace. That that's essentially why we started late because I was fighting off a rebel invasion. Because apparently people don't like you telling them that their opinion doesn't matter. You're the boss no matter what. Who would have thought that? I know. Who would have actually imagined? Good God. Yeah. So I, I'm scared to turn the game back on um, just just to see exactly how this ended. <laughs> but um, we're going to get into this show. Our president is not acknowledging our president-elect. We've heard, I was going over it in the beginning, we've heard so many different variations. It's just just a whirlwind uh, right now as far as what to believe, what not to believe. Um, I would assume 51% or however much the vote, the popular vote that Biden got, believes that the election is fair and that the other 70 million people in America, or however many people voted for Trump, don't believe that it's fair. 
and we are still stuck in this limbo uh, waiting on the president to just admit that he lost the race and that the election was fair. And so today, um, in a, I guess, I, I don't even know how to explain it, in a, in a clusterfuck of, of This Is America Now, we got the MAGA, the Million MAGA March, or whatever they wanted to call it, where pretty much all the Trump supporters from around the country came to show their support for their president and for America. You live in D.C. Did you go? I mean, my neighborhood was quiet. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> this was all around the White House. I'm still a decent distance away, so I didn't actually I, – I got to admit, I mean, with COVID and everything like that, I barely leave the house. And as enticing as it was to be able to make a stand like that, I actually respectfully declined the invitation. I'm going to need you to be more committed to this show. You you should have been boots on the ground out there like my man from The Daily Show interviewing people and listening to them tell you that they're actually doing this on your behalf because whether you know it or not, Joe Biden's going to take us to socialism. Ah, yes. Ah, the socialism. It's it's amazing, too, because I, I, I think the biggest thing I would – actually do had I been on the ground would be to actually start to define or ask these supporters to define what socialism is because it's such a varying definition that it seems to boil down to almost anything the government pays for, which is like, so you mean the police and the fire department? Like what is, what is, socialism and the fear of socialism. Now, don't get me wrong. When you say go to Florida and ask the huge Cuban population that supported Trump what socialism is, which is one of the main reasons they supported him, is because they hear socialism, they think of Castro. They think of everything that they've gone through where you have this government that controls every aspect of your life. But when you ask that in America... It, it almost like you you get such a varying degree of definition that it's like I don't it's like so literally anything the government actually steps in and tries to pay for is socialism. It's like but they pay for a lot of things that you rely on that you depend on. So like I I don't how, how is he leading us into socialism exactly? It reminds me of um, a cartoon that I saw where all the Trump supporters are in their sheep and they have on like their MAGA hats and Trump is the wolf and he's telling them, you know, you can you can believe me, trust me. And uh, the sheep are like, yeah, this guy's speaking my language. There is so much stupidity in some of the talking points of um, many Trump supporters. It doesn't make sense to me. And again, this show is not designated to be a left show, a right show. It's called the Mod Pod because I, I've got something to say about everybody. I, I don't have a side. However, Trump and Trump supporters have dominated the show because they are so fucking ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I have people that come into my job in my office that depend on these government assistance programs that we would probably classify by definition as socialism or socialistic 
based programs, you know, and they would, yeah. they would literally, literally spit in the face of what they depend on because they don't know any better. And if you tell them that, Hey, your Medicaid is socialism or your food stamps is kind of socialism. They give you this look like, like you're almost like, like when they're backed into a corner of facts, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, nuh-uh, that's fake news. That's not real. That's what they want you yeah. to believe. And that's, that's, that is what America is now. Um, I know you saw the conversation I was having with my, uh, well, I can't really call him my friend, but a guy I associate with, I mean, we're friends, but we're not like friend friends. Anyway, the guy on Facebook. And yeah. I, I and I was not I was not trying to troll. I am literally intrigued at the fact that no matter what Trump says or does, like people will follow this man to the end of the world. Trump could walk to a cliff and tell people that jumping off is is the way to go. That's that's what you need to do. That's how you get like me. You jump off this cliff. People would jump. People would follow him blindly. It's it's dangerous. And and oh, uh, yeah, and so just kind of bring it full circle. I'm talking to this guy. He's telling me the election's rigged, and he's like, "You'll see, it's coming. You'll see." And he's like, "You know, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that?" And and, and look, this is what's going to happen. And every talking point he had, all I did was ask him if that made sense to him, and then give him a link of a news article that was not CNN, that was not Fox News, somebody completely unbiased explaining, like, what you're saying is not true. What the president said is not true. And and he, he just, he had nothing. He had nothing. And at the end, I did give him a CNN article, but the CNN article stated that basically a bipartisan um, committee went through the election and came to the conclusion that there was no fraud. And he just laughed it off and was like, okay, well, just wait for it. And this is Donald Trump. This is what he's done to America. What is going on, Paul? Well, you know what it is, and it's, and it's actually interesting. I was reading up in sort of the lead-up to this podcast. I've read up actually a lot on sort of the state of QAnon in, you know, kind of a – aftermath of this election and it's amazing that even with a group that was that dedicated you actually have almost kind of a pseudo sort of a civil war kind of going on because you have the very real you know aspect of the fact that you know they legitimately were expecting trump to come and just completely destroy his re-election campaign and it didn't happen and that's causing a lot of them to kind of sort of stop and open their eyes at this. Yet at the same time, you still have very dedicated QAnon followers who are doing their own sort of mental gymnastics. There's literally a theory, which I think I meant to tell you this, so it's to make you laugh, where they're basically saying that actually his loss was a sting operation because they, were try- they actually marked the ballot of the people who were committing election fraud. And then we're going to be in the process, once all the votes were counted, of arresting all of the people who, 
you know, disingenuously cast their vote. You know, that, in other words, Trump's loss was a setup for a greater good type thing. You know, it's, it's incredible what this cult of personality has actually created. And I feel like to a certain degree, definitely in our lifetime, you know, this is sort of a first. Like even with Reagan, a guy who in his first election won, I think, what, nearly every state? Even though he's revered in conservative circles, you, you don't have that same level of cult of personality. Like that to me is one of the things that I think is so absolutely insane, especially considering the fact that this is coming from a party that's supposed to be in favor of small government, limited government intervention, yet you are literally finding people on this side of the aisle who are listening to this guy as if it's the very word of God. And it's like you you would think the guys who are really big about small government would be freaked the hell out by a guy like this. Like this is your the Republican Party's worst nightmare on paper. Like you're not supposed like this is what they feared Obama would be. I feel like in a lot of ways. And I mean, like, this is coming what, from your side of the aisle. Yeah, this is what this is what everybody feared. Like this is what our founding fathers feared. <laughs> you know, when they when they mm-hmm. created the Constitution and stuff, they didn't want an idiot like this running the country. Who honestly, if he was given the opportunity to stay president forever, he would. And and mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's. I don't want to insult people in the sense that. Um, as far as Republicans go, I don't think all Republicans are nut jobs. I think a lot of them are just, unfortunately, too hell bent on self preservation more than they are the country. Um, okay. By and large, what I've seen out of the Republican Party this past year, for sure, I, I, I saw it in 2016, but I kind of dismissed it a little. But 2020 has definitely proven to me. That without a shadow of a doubt, the Republican Party only cares about Republicans. They only care about Republicans. They don't care about nothing else. They just care about Republicans. Now, they paint that bullshit of they want to put country first. They do not put country first. And I'm not going to I'm not no. going to waste 20 minutes ranting about Trump again like I did the last one. But there's no way you can tell me that you put country first and you won't denounce this fucking idiot. OK, there's just no way. All right. Secondly, and for the and- well, I was going to say real quick, not to, not to quickly interject, but when you, especially when you talk about that with Republicans, when it comes to the legitimacy of the election, I don't think every single person who casts a vote for Trump believes that it's a rigged election. Like, that's not yeah. a unified front either. Yeah. Like you're saying with the Republican Party in the sense that not all of them tend to fall into that category, I don't believe that all of them fall into the category that this was a fraudulent fraudulent election. I just think, like you said, the ones who don't fall into that category, who are still coming out and encouraging him to, you know, pursue every legal means possible, they're doing so out of self-preservation because they know that a good majority of their base is crazy enough where if they come out and say, look, accept the results of the election and move on, they're going to get voted out. Yeah, and and I I understand there's still like the Senate is still in play um, with the runoff uh, that's coming in Georgia, 
And there's rumors, and it makes sense from a strategic standpoint, I guess, that the Republican Party is basically just putting on this show uh, just to make sure they secure the uh, Senate um, with the runoff vote. And then after that, um, apparently things are going to get a little bit better, apparently. But I just I just don't like what I see from our political leaders in this country. And, and Democrats on the other side are just as guilty um, of creating this atmosphere. And, I, and I'm going to try to touch on this later um, because – AOC is, is was in the news, and I think a lot of people just dismissed it or looked over it, and I, I thought it was interesting. But Democrats are at fault to some degree as well, and uh, like I said, I'll touch on that later. But right now, I, my focus is on the Republican Party and, and why they just enable this man. Like It's just so ridiculous. Um, so let's talk about the lawsuits uh, that we were supposed to be getting um, because the election is supposed to be – uh, according to Rudy Giuliani, elections are played out in the court. Judges decide elections. That's what he said when he was at the uh, at the I forgot the name of the place because I think we touched on it last. The Four uh, yeah, the Four Seasons, but it wasn't the Four Seasons Hotel. <laughs> but either way, the elections the elections are decided by the judges apparently. So we've got or we had. Lawsuits in what Arizona and Michigan and Nevada, Pennsylvania. Basically, spitballing. We're gonna we're gonna keep shooting our shot until we get something out here, right? So, um, nothing sticking. Nothing sticking. Um, There was a small victory in Pennsylvania um, where I guess they they. They found that the uh, Secretary of State there had overstepped his boundaries a little, but the amount of votes that it would have changed was insignificant. So he's losing in the court. Uh, One of the firms dropped out. I think you sent me the link. Um, One of the firms dropped out because basically they had to swear under oath um, that what they were testifying to was was in fact true, and they couldn't do that. Because they didn't want to lose their license, and then I saw that another firm, um, Porter Wright Morris and, and Arthur, withdrew their lawsuit um, in Pennsylvania because the people who worked for them felt like it was undermining the election process. So he's not okay. only he's not only like putting the election process in question. But he's making people uncomfortable in general. Well, keep in mind, too, you've worked for attorneys before, and I have been doing so for nearly a decade now. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Like, there is a lot about the law in general as a field that kind of goes into some gray areas. I think oh, you for sure. agree with that? Man, look, but, I was a paralegal. Look, I was a paralegal for family law. And I I can tell you there were days where I just wasn't like I had to come home and take a shower. I felt that dirty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like some of the things you have to do, no. like it's definitely tough. Dude, I worked personal injury for four years doing car accident cases and all that. I mean, I understand. However, there is one aspect that I feel like even though lawyers get the reputations that they do, 
I think you would agree with me in the sense that it's kind of unfair in just the sense that people forget a lot of times that when you represent an individual in court and you're hired by them to do so, a lot of times, especially in litigating, you have to follow the wishes of the client. You can advise the client as much as possible. You can give them a full, complete, several-page analytical work about all the aspects of the law in this particular field and how it's going to play out if you go that route. But ultimately, your choices are dictated by the client. As long as you are legally representing that individual, you have to follow what that individual wants, whether you like it or not. So in a, in a way, there's a part of me that my heart kind of goes out to a lot of those firms because their job is and their practice surrounds a lot of those areas in politics, and they are being told and dictated by their client to do things that are now pushing them into a very ethically shaped area. Now, that doesn't necessarily justify a whole lot of it, but it does make you kind of empathize with them a little bit because it's like you know as the lawyer, they're you know, the one who's out there on the ground in court articulating this argument that may, I mean, they know what they're saying is BS. A lot of the lawyers that ended up, you know, the firms that ended up backing away from Trump essentially backed away because of that, because they have to admit under oath, look, you know, counselor, you know, under oath, like, is what you're telling me true? And they have to say no, otherwise they risk their ability to practice. You know, the Trump administration is putting a lot of these lawyers into an ethically gray area that is very precarious. And again, it doesn't it doesn't put the lawyers themselves I mean like don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say the same. But it's like part of me kind of goes, damn, like I remember working personal injury where, you know, we would tell a client, hey listen, we've got a good offer on the table. You know, we could potentially get more if we push this through to a trial. But what you have to know is Here's what you're facing in cost. Here's what you're facing in additional fees. Here's what the likelihood could happen if the judge doesn't agree with it. Like, you're statistically, you're in the best position to take this, but they don't want to hear it because they want to roll the dice. And at that particular point, even though you have in detailed format gone through every scenario with them, if they choose the the high-risk one, and they want you to go with it, it's either go with it or risk losing the client. Yeah, and and I, I get – I definitely get that. I think we all um, understand that sometimes you got to do what you got to do as far as your job, and, and people represent people that they don't necessarily agree with um, morally, but they do it for the money. But, man, how, I just – I just don't know how people can just straight up like lie like this. Like it's it's wild to me. Like they just they just lie like this. It's or, well, or they just more. miss they just miss like just what I consider like common sense. I, I honestly struggle with words to describe what I see from the Trump administration right now. 
Well, keep this in mind, too. So you know that um, I was going to say, at least as far as right now, I mean, the Trump administration has paid out like six figures in legal fees defending a lot of these cases. But what's interesting is, and this kind of lends you to wonder just how precarious of a position Trump is actually in or how much he realizes he's in, is that a lot of the things that are asking for donations, like there's fine print in the things that get the donations in where they're basically saying that even though we're saying this is for Trump's defense, a lot of this is for, you know, future political endeavors. So a lot of the money that a lot of his, or at least to clear some of his debt, a part of me kind of wonders, is he actually getting all, like, I mean, is he basically trying to squeeze out every drop that he can before he leaves office? I mean, his own administration and even Trump himself has to know the jig is up. Like Biden's at 306 in terms of the electoral vote. Even if the results are certified and Pennsylvania turns or Georgia turns or Arizona turns or Nevada turns, Biden's still above 270. Like mathematically, he's in checkmate. So, I mean, even with the way a lot of these legal defenses have gone and even the path that they followed, it's, and even, you know, the way that they're kind of dealing with donations and everything like this, it almost seems to me that they're trying to kind of hoard their, you know, their supplies at least for the next four years. That's the impression that I'm getting, or at least I'm starting to get it. Well, as of, as of 7.47 a.m. this morning, Trump tweeted, he won because the election was rigged. No vote watchers or observers allowed. Vote tabulated by a radical left, privately owned company, Dominion, with a bad reputation and bum equipment that couldn't even qualify for Texas, which I won by a lot. The fake and silent media and more. And like all his tweets since basically two weeks ago, Twitter flag, this claim about election fraud is disputed. <laughs> but then he dialed it back and said he wasn't conceding. I mean, he. I think he knows that it's up. Um, I just don't understand. I don't understand the strategy of, of drawing it out like this. I think it's been made very clear by his supporters that no matter what he does, he's going to support. Um, I, I, I hesitate to call this a movement, but now that I think about it and I think about how um, – how people are in, in the sense of Trump supporters. Not all Trump supporters are Republican, but all Repub. Hold on, let me let me put it this way. Not all Republicans are Trump supporters, but all Trump supporters are Republican. If you get what I'm saying. So the party, is go- the party is going to allow this to continue for the sake of their votes. So I think the movement is there. Um, I don't know if Trump eventually transforms the party um, completely because there's still people in the party that are willing to to not fall for the antics of, of who he caters to and and um, to get votes but I, I don't know I don't know where they go from here and I'm wondering if Trump is just kind of playing along just to just to see how much more power he still has because the end game for him, it's probably uh, long-term, what we were going to discuss um, today as well, 
is that he's probably going to go forward with this this media endeavor that he has and I guess this station that he's going to he's going to have what you said was TNN Trump News Network <laughs> that was the idea here's what here's where I see and the reason that he's doing this is I think it's kind of a sort of a multi multifaceted idea like it's not just for one particular reason like I think it's definitely there's definitely an aspect of it of what you're talking about where you know he's trying to sort of gauge what the strength of his support on the one hand on the other hand for me I think it's just the the most he can do to damage sort of the legitimacy of the guy who beat him is sort of the top priority. Like, whatever he can do to cast doubt on Biden and make any Republican resistance to it seem heroic is is a positive thing, kind of like with Obama. Like, I hate to say it. Like, you know, the Tea Party in and of itself was kind of insane, but they were looked on almost as heroes to the point where you have the Republicans taking over in the midterm elections you know, a couple of years after Obama took office. So I think whatever he can do to undercut the current, you know, Democratic elect administration is his goal. Now, by the same token, though, you know, I almost feel like strategy-wise, this is kind of giving Trump too much credit. Like, I have always, always, always said that people overcomplicate. Like, he's not a complicated man. He never has been. He never will be. He cares about a few things, and that's money and attention, and that's it. And he understands how to get both. And, you know, I almost feel like to a certain degree, and even the, and this is kind of the bottom one because it's like, again, I don't want to admit that a current sitting president is actually doing this, but, he, again, we're seeing the real Trump. When he has his back against the wall and he knows he's in the wrong, this is how he reacts. He does every single thing in his power, in the court, to try to get his way. That's just what he does. That's how he runs his business. That's how he screws over so many of the contractors he refuses to pay. You know, he was notorious for doing that. I don't know if you ever read the, uh, the articles on that, about how he would screw over, like, contractors who work for him where he would agree to pay X, and then when the time to pay the bill would come, he wouldn't pay the bill. They would sue him for it, and then he would drag out litigation to the point where they would just agree to take a lesser amount. Like, that's just how he does things. In my mind, this is no different from that. You know, I I would like to believe that there is some long-term strategy to this where he's trying to, you know, delegitimize Biden's win and trying to undercut the Democratic administration, but I'm like, is he even that smart? Or is this just him going into the same panic mode that he always does? You know, he's treating this in the same way that, you know, you and I did construction work for him, and he owes us 80 grand and didn't pay it, and is going to drag us into court where we agree to pay 50 just to end the lawsuit, you know what I mean? Yeah, and um, I... I'm just trying. Like every, the more I think about it, the, the harder it is for me to to <laughs> to wrap my mind around it. 
even if we could get off Trump for a second, do people realize? Like, I, I hear, I hear Republicans and and Democrats alike uh, say we and and I and 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 or when they talk about the election, we lost, we won. What does that mean? You know, like it's almost like the two party system is maybe Trump is like literally killing the two party system. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and get into it. Uh, Cause the reason why I say that is because in the Republican party, you've got the old conservatives that we grew up knowing like the old guard. And then you got the Trump supporters would kind of represent, I guess it would be the Republican version of a progressive movement, you know, um, in the Democratic Party, you've got the old guard, and then you've got AOC and, and her, I guess, her crew of people who represent the progressive movement. And it's almost like there's conflict, internal conflict going on in the parties to the point where you almost have two parties with, within one party. So I like the image of a Democrat and Republican that we knew and we grew up knowing is is almost disappearing right before our eyes. And I, I don't know if maybe we're not paying enough attention to that because we're distracted by uh, the presidential election, but there's, there's a lot of conflict going on. Um, AOC said that she wanted to quit politics or like she sounded defeated. And a lot of that is because the democratic party is, is basically turning on what, she considers and what a lot of people consider progressive ideas because they're being painted as socialists and painted as, as these like anti-Americans, you know? Well, absolutely. But you know, there is, there's sort of an internal civil war right now going on between both of these parties on the democratic side. And I talked about it a little bit last week, you know, you have the more moderate on that side, like the Joe Bidens and the Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's who, you know, they're progressive, but they're like 1991 progressive. You know, like they're what would have been considered progressive when we were growing up, whereas right now it's like the bare minimum. You know, it's like they support gay marriage, which is like, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's it's kind of common <laughs> right? sense right now, you know what I mean? <laughs> And then you have the progressives on that side who want to keep pushing it to where there are policies and things implemented in this country that are the norm in Europe and Canada and places like that where, you know, the things that legitimately are going to, you know, help younger generations of people are in place. And, you know, you unfortunately are facing the reality on the democratic side where the reality is that the people in control of the party are exceedingly wealthy and that those policies are going to affect the people in charge. And that's just, that's just the truth. On the Republican side, as one of my friends phrased it, he goes, the Trump, you know, administration from 2016 onward exposed the fact that this radical side of the Republican Party has become the one that's now calling the shots and that's now dictating it, regardless of whether it's the majority or not. 
where a lot of those old guard Republicans are moderates are now kind of looking around going, holy crap, how the hell, how the hell did we get outgunned, even though it has been slowly happening for years? So, you know, Chris Rock had a famous comedy bit where he always talked about how America is ultimately and always has been a nation in the middle. He goes, you know, when it comes to finances, he goes, I'm conservative. When it comes to prostitution, I'm liberal. You know, <laughs> and there's, I think, a degree of truth about that for the vast majority of Americans, where I feel like there is the vast majority of us are in the middle and not against the extreme. Yet the extremes tend to be the ones who kind of, you know, pull the hardest or seem like they have the biggest voice. Now, as far as AOC goes, I could see where she's getting jaded because, you know, she is kind of in that Bernie Sanders camp where what she is pushing for and what she wants to implement is still seen as sort of a naive idealism when more and more people, I think, kind of paid attention to Bernie Sanders over the last two elections because they realized that the reason he brings up the positions that he does is that there is a reality in America that very few politicians are willing to acknowledge, particularly when it comes to the younger generations, which is that, you know, cost of living and the cost of being able to move up and move into what we would call a middle-class lifestyle is much more difficult than it was, say, 20 to 30 years ago. And that unless we undergo some of those changes, you're going to see a much greater gap in the wealth between the richer people calling the shots and everybody else. Yeah, and I think I think she's on to something, man. Like, uh, in my mind, there should have been no excuse for the Democratic Party to lose seats in the House. If the uh-huh. Democratic Party can win the presidential election then they should pretty much be winning already control Congress in my mind because that would consi- I would consider that a complete flip because Trump is the reason why a lot of those Republicans were able to, to win their seats. And if you vote him out, how can you not vote out the people that su- like basically support him um, in, within his party? It's just a little strange to me. And so um, – I mean, this is this one was kind of personal uh, because um, one of the loudest voices came from um, right here in Henrico, uh, Abigail Spanberger, and um, she's not the oh, first yeah. person that I that I heard say this. But this whole defund the police thing, like Republicans have done a great job at at at, util, at using Democratic talking points and making it so like painting it as as something like extreme. And and the problem with that is, is that the majority of, or at least my theory is the majority of people who get their news uh, from Trump or who are Trump supporters usually get their news from outlets that are basically very skewed to Trump, you know, very supportive of Trump. They don't really get, real news and I hesitate to say real news because I know CNN skews some things as well. Um, but it's it's not CNN and Fox. 
there like there are some far reaching wild conspiracy theories and they typically seem to to favor Republicans and, and they've demonized the Democratic Party. Um like when we talk about Pizzagate, that's a I know it's a QAnon uh, theory, but it's anti democratic party. It's anti liberal, anti left, you know, like they, they paint them as these like crazy devil worshiping communist socialists. I don't even know what they are, uh, but they just paint them in such a bad light. And I don't think the, the democratic party, I think a lot of it was just cockiness. Like they didn't take Trump seriously. They didn't take this, this uh, wave seriously. They rode the high of Obama thinking that everything was cool. And then it's just like the realization that, you know, you're not, you're not the coolest kid in the, in the class anymore, you know? And they want to blame, they want to blame everything except for how the party is run. The democratic party is only appealing. And I'm saying this as a moderate, at least from my end, the democratic party is only appealing because of what the Republican party shows. If the Republican party was less supportive of openly racist like tactics and policies and people, I would probably vote Republican a lot of times. A, a lot of black people would probably vote Republican. Is they're they're literally the lesser evil option is why people are voting them. Most minorities are voting them. It, it, it's oh. it's wild to me. Well, you know what's funny? I had a friend who actually framed it this way, and you can tell me what you think, where he was saying that based on the on paper at least, a lot of the Republican Party platforms, he goes, they should be killing the minority and the immigrant vote in a lot of ways, if you think about it. He goes, for example, you know, he goes, the Republican Party is very involved and very well connected with the evangelical Christian community. I mean you're the son of a – I was going to say, you're the son of a preacher. How big is, you know, at least when it comes to the evangelical Christian community, how big is the African-American population? Pretty big, isn't it? Yeah. Or at least I was gonna say, there's a heavy involvement there. So you would think just based on that connection alone, that would be enough to attract a lot of African-Americans to vote Republican. You talk about the fact that you know the Republican Party constantly hammers on policies that are limited government, very laissez-faire economics, that are very heavily favored in terms of small businesses. I mean, how many immigrants come to this country and start small businesses? Quite a number. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they, you know, there are very heavily, you know, very heavy populations on those sides that you would think would come into that. But as you said, the Republican Party consistently seems to take the side of just a we like we don't want you. So you have no other choice for a lot of those. You know, that's yeah. that's what they're faced with. And they're, they're, I, I they're don't literally know the default. Wrong with that analysis. Yeah. They they're literally literally the default in, in most scenarios. Um, and then the funniest thing about it is that um, the only reason why Hillary didn't win is because she was literally the one person I think a lot of black people didn't want anything to do with. And 
Trump and the Republican Party won because the turnout was low. I don't think it was because he was the better candidate. I just think that people just, a lot of people was like, well, if I got to choose between Trump or Hillary, I'm just not going to vote. And no, that's true. But you also you also have to think, too, and this is something that, you know, I, I've heard quite a bit from, you know, a lot of sort of the post-2020 election analyses is the fact that Trump's popularity in 2016 was based on the idea that he was very anti the machine. You know, he was the outsider. He was the, you know, he was the antidote to sort of that elitist politics and all this type of stuff. And he hadn't been tainted by it. And, you know, he was going to come in and start to change things and, and, you know, this, this, and that. But as somebody quoted during the 2020 campaign, he goes, you can't claim to rage against the machine when you are the machine. The minute he went through those four years, that whole anti-government, you know, or anti-Washington crap kind of went out the window. It, it doesn't. It didn't have the same effect because it's like, but you've been in Washington for four years. You're now a part of that, and we gave you that opportunity, and it didn't, you know, it didn't come about in the exact same way that we thought it would. You know, the big, the big thing that Trump had going for him in 2016 was, by 2016, a lot of people or a much larger population than we really anticipated was dissatisfied with the way that people in Washington were running things. They were very dissatisfied with, the, you know, with sort of, you know, standstill or stalled politics. They were tired of thinking that, you know, no matter what they did, ultimately their voices weren't heard. And Trump was able to capitalize on that by basically saying, hey, what you need to break this stalemate and what you need to get things going again is somebody who hasn't been a part of this, and I'm the guy to do that. And that works for people. You know, Hillary was seen as a career politician, and above anything – that was people's biggest turnoff was the fact that it's like, oh, okay, so we're going to solve, you know, ingrained stalemate, you know, Washington politics with somebody whose whole life has been politics. Like, that's not, you know, we can't do that. We need something new. You know, and kind of in the same, that's in a way I felt kind of like what Obama was in 08. Like, yeah, he had been involved in politics, but he hadn't been so involved where he'd been a career politician, you know, he was still a rookie, I think, in a lot of ways. And that was sort of a refreshing thing for people because he was a young guy coming in who, you know, had a lot more energy, you know, you know, he had a much more positive message and that worked for people. Trump was somebody who was feeding off of the growing frustration that people had or the growing apathy that people had of politics as usual. You know, that's, that's kind of where I felt like the, the thing came in. And, and by the way, it's funny you mentioned the whole defunding the police thing. You remember that kid I told you about who won the, uh, the election, at least for the Connecticut State House of Representatives in the district where my parents live, right? The kid mm-hmm. who ended up beating out the incumbent politician. There was a thing going around that, you know, in the midst of the election, that somebody was sending out a mailer to voters in Madison 
basically saying that this kid was supporting defunding the police when he never spoke about that during his campaign. It was literally just put out there as a scare tactic. Yeah, and the and that's part of the Democrats' law too, is that defunding the police, they just allowed that to um they allowed that to just sit, like that that title, defund the police. Yeah, when you say it like that, don't nobody nobody wants to be a part of that. They go defund the police, does that mean no police? You know? And um and defunding the police doesn't mean no no um no police, but they didn't do a good job of of distancing themselves from that or explaining what that meant. And I think there's just too many people involved in the Democratic Party, like too many different voices, like the the gaps too too wide. I, I feel like Trump and Republicans kinda have it more together in the Democratic Party, and and that's part of why the Democratic Party lost these seats. And and it's going to be it's we're in for a, a tough four years because Trump's never going oh, away. Absolutely. These people are never going away. And it, depending on how the runoff goes, I mean, it's it's almost like you you have to hope that the Democrats win the runoff so something can get done. I mean, even if even if you know. From my perspective, even if people don't like, let's say this was Trump um, that was president-elect and Biden was the one that didn't want to theoretically step down, it would be better for the president to have a Congress that's with his party so he can at least try to implement his policies and, and, and make changes than for it to be a Democratic president and a Republican party, or we have Republican-controlled Senate. It, we would just end up in another four years of of petty political bickering, you know. Um, oh, absolutely, and, absolutely. And I want to give I want to give Biden a chance. Uh, I, I was actually laughing at this. I was looking at um, Chappelle's first Saturday Night uh, Live skit and the stuff that he did when Trump got elected. He was like, he's willing to give Trump a chance, and. I was like, you know, even at that time and even now, I still say the same thing. I'm willing to give everybody a chance because, again, I'm not affiliated with the party, so I, I honestly don't care. I don't, I don't say we won, we lost. I don't. I'm not a part of any of this. I just want to see things get done. We still are in the middle of a pandemic. People have no direction. It's an absolute mess. Absolute mess. And whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's a, a government hoax, because what February it was a, it was a government hoax by the Democratic Party to undermine Trump in the election, and then lo and behold, everybody, including Trump, got Corona, and that, and now people are like, yes, yeah, it's it is a, a serious thing, and the numbers are going up, and people are like, oh, they're inflating the numbers, is is bullshit. Again, something has to be done. All right. And and I hate that we live in a society now where every single thing is questioned. Every single thing is questioned. And it gets yep. to a point where where it becomes dangerous. Like when people just start dismissing what experts say because their friend from high school sent them a, a link to a website that somebody made two days ago that's telling them that corona is fake and and 
some random person on Facebook is like, my sus- my sister died from a car accident, and they said she died from corona, and people just share, 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 and believe it. It's, it's just it's dangerous, man. It's a dangerous time that we live in, and I just want direction in the country. That's all I want. I just want some kind of direction. Hell, even if even if we're moving backwards, at least we're going somewhere, you know. Like I just, I just don't know. I just don't know, man. Like this is a weird time for for like me being an adult. I wonder if my parents went through this. Well, you know what's interesting too is the fact that, and this was kind of something that I had thought about, you know, when or at least was starting to read about too with you know, again, the aftermath of, you know, this election and everything that happened is that, you know, a lot of the people who take these stances on things, who go for these very kind of stalemate politics, ultimately at the end of the day, they are people who aren't affected by it. You know what I mean? Their wealth and their influence insulates them so much that, you know, they're willing to kind of, like with the healthcare vote and stuff like that, where, you know, people were trying to, you know, play up the drama in the early years of the Trump administration, where it's kind of like, well, it's like you guys are playing with people's lives. This isn't, you know, this isn't, you know, some kind of like reality TV show. You know, this is, this is like, you're, you're about to seriously kick a whole bunch of people off healthcare. You know, you guys are going to be fine. It's not going to affect you, Democrat or Republican. And I, I kind of wonder with a lot of the Republicans in power, you know, if, say, you know, again, we have the best case scenario where it ends up moving, you know, moving out and Biden comes through. I wonder if we're going to see the same obstructionist policies where a lot of the Republicans realize, like, oh, God, like, it was funny at the time we were doing it, but we didn't actually realize it was going to lead to this. Like, maybe we need to dial it back. Like, I think they – I read something where they were talking about the, uh, the you know, the Koch brothers, who are big Republican donors, who mm-hmm. have kind of funded a lot of those, you know, social media things that are very anti-Democrat and stuff like that, who even admitted, like, oh, man, we didn't think it was going to get this far. You know, where, again, they talk about it with this sort of detached emotion where it's like, Oh man, like isn't that crazy? Where the rest of us on the ground are like, are you kidding me? Like we haven't had a you know a sound night's sleep in months. Like this isn't funny. This is like this is our everyday lives, man. We're just trying to survive. Like you guys are all set. You have enough wealth where if you needed to, you could pick up and go to another damn country if you wanted to. We're stuck with it. Like yeah. guys like you and me, we're stuck with where we are. So everything that happens. And everything that is called on that hill affects us. We can't. We don't have the luxury. We would kill for the luxury to be able to talk about it with that detached, you know, emotion and that sort of whole detachment where we can kind of step back and, you know, look at it as something where, you know, it's like the, uh, you know, the island of Dr. Moreau where we're just kind of experimenting with things and creating, you know, hybrid animals. It's like no, no, no. We're we're the people on the ground who. You know, if things go a certain way, we're screwed, regardless of who we voted for. And that, yeah. I think, is what breeds – that's what breeds the anger that leads to people like Trump, is the fact that the people who are in charge aren't people like Bernie Sanders and AOC who take a much more realistic view of 
what everyday people who live paycheck to paycheck go through and their everyday struggles, and they just go about it going like, oh, well, we're going to treat this like, a, you know, some kind of debate club or chess match or, you know, like a coach calling game, you know, calling plays in the fourth quarter where it's like, dude, like, this is affecting all of us, man. Like, you're about to kick me off my goddamn health care. And you're, yeah. you're tweeting this whole thing like they're not giving an inch. Like, shut the hell up. Look what you're yeah, doing. And, again, I I just get nervous because, like you said, like, at some point people are going to reach a breaking point. And um, I I – don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be Democrats that'll be the ones that'll that'll do it. I think it's gonna be the Trump supporters because they feel no, oppressed and, and and all kind of like. I don't even know. I don't even know where they where they get off with with feeling like somebody's cheating them or, or depriving them of their rights. But either way, I. Um, I'm going to end with this. It, it kind of made me chuckle, but it was also kind of sad. So there is a clip that I had seen on, on, um, on, uh, let me see, looking for on Yahoo. So on Yahoo, they were talking about the, uh, the March or whatever. And like, when you scroll down on the article, it was like a video that said, click here and, and hear what Trump supporters think of what life will be like under Joe Biden. And so, um, you know, they talk to the Trump supporters and the Trump supporters say why they came to the rally, this and that. And then they go back through and they ask every individual one, like, you know, what they think it'll be like under um, Biden. And one of them was a um, was an Asian woman. She was from California. She came out and she was saying that she doesn't know what it's going to be like under Biden. She just knows that there won't be any rioting in the street because that's not what Republicans do. And I was thinking to myself, like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you kidding? You really think that, like, you really think the Republican party is the peaceful party? None of you guys. The one that went into the Michigan state house with guns. Yeah. None of the, none of you guys are peaceful. None None of you. And, and I guess this is where I end where I say that, if you identify as a Republican or if you identify as a Democrat, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you need to tell yourself the honest to God truth that you are just like what you hate. You really are. And that the only reason why you think you're better than a Republican if you're a Democrat or you think you're better than a Democrat if you're a Republican, the only reason why you feel that you're any different is because what you want is going your way. When things don't go your way, both parties act the exact same way. And that is why I continue to stay in the middle. Uh, That is why I got inspired to try this podcast. And that's why I'm going to keep coming on every week and venting about how much I hate all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Amen to that. Yeah. So maybe maybe one day it'll, it'll change, and, and if it does, I'll be the first one to admit that um, I'm happy for that because I, I hope and look forward to a time where people don't see an election or a um, or some kind of policy and say, well, we won, you lost, and, and things like that because that's just – I just don't think that's how it should be, but oh, well. 
I am but one man. I am but one man. Um, next well, week. And I was, oh, I was going to say real quick, just every one of the things that I can end on when you talk about, you know, sort of the the divisions in politics. Like when you talk about the we won, the we won, it's, it's so frustrating to me to see that mentality and then see people in turn in the aftermath of the election post stuff like, you know, but remember at the end of the day that we're all Americans and all this type of stuff. Like shove that crap up your butt. Seriously, like it, it pisses me off because it's like you, you. This isn't like rooting for the 49ers. This isn't like voting, you know, rooting for the Patriots. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and even then, I always have had that issue with sports fans where it's like if the if the Niners win the Super Bowl and you celebrate, you know, you don't genuinely believe that you actually helped the 49ers win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you weren't calling the plays. You weren't out there on the field. It's the same thing with the Republicans. Like, yeah, you cast your vote, but you're one person of thousands. Like, you know, it's still not the same thing. You know, it's un- until we stop viewing it in that same lens, don't, you know, come at me in this view after the election that, hey, you know, we have to remember we're all American. Bull crap. We keep, you know, giving positive reinforcement to that same type of celebration within the parties. And then are trying to say, but, you know, at the end of the game, you know, like kind of – it's going to be kind of like how Trump, when, the, you know, if he ends up actually leaving the White House under terms where he's – you know, I could legitimately see him still trying to reach out to guys like, you know, Steve Bannon and all the – you know, Bolton and all the people he's booted out like it wasn't personal. Where it's like, dude, you, you affected people's lives. Like you, you can't just go back to the way things were now. Like that's not possible. You legitimately humiliated, embarrassed, and destroyed the careers of people. Like, you can't just go back and just be like, oh, well, you know, I mean, it was just business, right? Like, no. You know, we, 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 we have to stop treating it like that. Well, we have to understand that it's like you, for at least a certain group of people, it's like you are enabling a very dangerous person. And it's like until you understand the gravity of what that means, like you, you can't just shrug your shoulders and be like, oh, let's let bygones be bygones. Like, no, man. Like, there are people still in goddamn cages somewhere by, you know, being held by ice. I, and this, yeah. this was like, it's like there, there was a whole swath of people that, hell, you and I weren't affected by it, but they were. Yeah, and it's it's kind of and like I said again, this isn't a this isn't party uh, specific. This is the underbelly of American ideas ideals, and that is that we're all to some degree selfish, and if it doesn't affect us, then a lot of us don't really care. And we see that a whole lot. We see that a whole lot in how people vote and what people think about politically. And um, I wish I could change that. And 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 I'll admit, I wasn't really motivated to vote because of that. Because a lot of the things that took place uh, prior to this this particular election, to me personally, didn't really affect me. I didn't see a difference uh, in my way of life under Bush than Obama. It, it was like whatever. I noticed the difference under Donald Trump. I did, and that's what motivated me to go out and vote and to get more. Um, active with 
my political stance um, because things changed under him for me. And um, I don't know if, if that was necessarily the best way to go about it, but I'm glad that I eventually woke up to it. And I want to ensure that I don't, that my lack of activity doesn't affect somebody else in the future. So um, I definitely want to make sure I, I get more motivated about that. And if all I can do is post on Facebook to bring awareness to things, that's fine. Um, I I know I had talked about you or talked to you about this uh, before that my initiative going forward was to engage people that didn't think like me on a regular basis. And I've been pretty successful with that. And it's mostly through social media you know, you send me stuff on Facebook sometimes and I'll just jump on the thread and just tag somebody just because I want to start a conversation, not necessarily looking to troll, but sometimes it winds up being a troll and, and it's all in good fun. But there's there's some form of growth in, in those engagements. And I think that we have gotten to the point where as a culture, we're a two-party system. Uh, as a society, um, we used to, you know, we used to be more blended, but now it's like lines are drawn. We have these teams, you're red or blue and red doesn't talk to blue. Blue doesn't talk to red. And and we're only here because of of them type stuff. Um, I was going to share a video. uh, Red versus blue is a halo. It's an old halo uh, parody, but like uh, in the beginning, they say the only reason why we have a red base here is because they have a blue base there. And the guy goes, well, why are we here? And the, red base person can't explain to him why they're there. All he can say is that we're here because they're over there. And I feel like that's how politics is right now. Like people just do things because it's it's counter to what uh, the opposite party did. Like it's just, it's just so petty and childish and and ridiculous. And um, I don't know how we can change it in our lifetime, but something has to be done during this pandemic that we have to come together. If we can't come together as a country during the pandemic, I don't know what can bring us together. God forbid something happens and we, we have to go to war or or um, there's some kind of like terrorist attack or something like that because terrorism is still very much alive. I, I don't know if people realize that or not. And it's not it's not necessarily a foreign thing either. It's, it's here in our, in our country domestically. And um, we really need to uh, make sure that we're all on the same page and looking out for one another um, so we can be vigilant because our government is, they're a hot mess right now. We can't depend on them, you know? So I don't know. Well, I will say your ability, I think, to engage people, I think is a good start. And I'll tell you why. When it comes to a person's opinion, you're able to tell sort of the strength of the position when you actually ask somebody to elaborate on it. And you can mm-hmm. tell a lot with Trump, you know, some of the times where he gets the most heated towards the reporters, just when they ask simple follow-up questions, like, what do you mean by that? Well, who says that? Well, what do you, like, what do you think that means? And in the interactions that you've showed me, just doing that, which is exactly what you do, ends up actually doing a lot because when you force a person and we, we, we kind of have gone backward with this where, you know, if, if X is sort of a common theory that everybody believes and I want to assert Y 
instead of saying, well, I believe why, and here are all the reasons that support it, I say, no, I believe why, change my mind. Like, that's not how that works. If you're going to challenge a very commonly held belief, you have to bring the proof. It's not up to the people who believe the commonly held belief to defend it. All the evidence is already out there. Their reasoning is already out there. It's your job to try to go against it. And I feel like with a lot of the people I see you go against, that's the best start where you don't get argumentative. You engage it as a conversation. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any racism involved in police. Well, really, why do you believe that? Well, and then they start talking. Well, what do you mean by that? And then the more you get them to actually analyze it, it shows how flimsy the argument was to begin with. That's how you engage. You don't engage by humiliating them. You don't engage by necessarily being over-aggressive. All you do is let the conversation flow. Ask them questions. Bring up alternate points and say, well, I heard this, and ask them to attack that. The more you ask them to expand on it, the more flimsy you show the argument to be. That's where I think we need to start doing things. We need to stop, like you said, with that polarization. Stop doing this as, oh, this is going to be a victory for blue or a victory for red. Engage people on their ideas and just keep asking them to explain things. Because a lot of times when you say stuff out loud, you realize how insane it actually sounds. And how just absolutely mind-blowingly weird it sounds. And it makes you kind of start to think a little bit about, huh, why do I think that? And it's it's that self-reflection that needs to happen more and more. That's how you're going to get people to start to at least change their minds. You're not going to do it by, you know, going on the attack like you're, you you know, besieging a fort. It just, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's it has to come from within, and it, and I say that as in within their parties, like Republicans and Democrats. Somebody up top needs to needs to cross party lines and be like, look, the way we're we're doing this right now isn't isn't good for the country, and so I, I hope we can get to that point, but not with this current leadership. <laughs> maybe maybe Joe Biden can get get something done um, because McConnell and them identify with him a little. I'll, I'll put it that way, and I'll code it like that. Identify with him a little, you know? Maybe, maybe it won't yeah. be as bad. So, um, we will see. Um, next week, I wanted to talk about, um, I wanted to kind of talk about Obama's role in the creation of Donald Trump and, and go from there. And some of that is off of his words, and, and we can kind of revisit uh, 20... 16 and, and what kind of led to, to the rise of Donald Trump. Man, that means I'm going to have to start reading the books my grandmother got me for Christmas last year. She got me <laughs> a book on Trump called Trump Aftershock, and then she also got me a book called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. What's hilarious is the Trump book is like a quarter of the length of the Obama book. The Obama book's like 500 pages. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I almost feel like that's like the difference between the two parties. 
Like the Trump book was just like thrown together. The Obama one was like researched. That's crazy. <laughs> well, I'm gonna leave that up to you. I'm I'm gonna get the audio version and uh, just listen to it on my commute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for calling in. Um, again, we'll be back next week. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the rise of Donald Trump. Um, almost like a sending off party. And then, of course, if anything major happens, we'll cover that as well. Oh God, and we only can. I mean, although. Keep in mind, it right now the date is what's today's date? The fifteenth. All results are supposed to be certified. I think by next Wednesday. Okay, well we'll definitely have have a good show then. No, oh, absolutely. <laughs> all right, take care, man. You too. This has been the Mod Pod, episode four with the IBN Network. I'm your host, IBS Jesus, and we're signing off.